Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. Megan is on maternity leave, uh, although she will be back in a few weeks. Um, today we're going to be talking about The Time Machine, which is H.G. Wells's 1895 novella about a Victorian scientist who, duh, invents a time machine and goes ludicrous speed all the way to the year 802,701. Uh, yes, that was a Spaceballs reference. Uh, I do know that that makes me old. Um, <laughs> also, just just breezing across different genres of science fiction there as well. But <laughs> just breezing, just skating yeah. effortlessly. Uh, so, Katie, why why did you want to read the Time Machine, Tristan? I got to tell you, I made this mistake again. I thought we were reading The Time Traveler's Wife, and I was so <laughs> excited to discuss romance with you. Uh, Tristan, yes. I thought we were reading Hot Tub Time Machine. I read the script to the first one and then the sequel. Hot Tub um, Time Machine is fun, though. I, lo- I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> hot t- yeah, Hot Tub Time Machine is dope, indubitably. Um also, it, it, another thing that's funny is H.G. Wells. He just is funny and weird and includes bizarro details like uh, about what shoes he's wearing, whether he's wearing indoor shoes or outdoor shoes. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, <laughs> it's it's necessary. Um, th- and so there's just that, the, the funniness of Wells. The second reason why I want to read this was because I had a professor in college who was a time traveler. <laughs> Okay, uh, all right, I'll confess that he was not an actual traveler through time, but he sort of was like the time-traveling guru guy in the book. Um, he he like spent a lot of time doing motivational speeches uh, and like telling us how fucking great we were and how anything was possible for us, just like anything, just like fuck science, you could do it all. And, and I promise you, I went to Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey. We could not do it all. We did not have all possibilities ahead of us. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, that just that was not what was going on. Um, but this guy, this guy, the time traveler my college professor hg wells it's all coming together in a in a series of threads of time uh his name is michael layton and he sells these like really simplistic um or they look like they were done with those paint splasher machines you know those abstract paintings for like a gajillion dollars each and he also composes string quartets in addition to being a professor of like psychology and mathematics. And one of the reviews of his album um, has my all-time favorite uh, review line, including Yelp, including everything, which is, nothing will prepare you for the sound of Michael Layton's string quartet. <laughs> that, that, uh, that doesn't necessarily sound like a compliment. <laughs> what does it mean nothing wolfer what does he do unless he's like fucking the upright base i think i'm prepared oh wow wow um and also apparently he does jackson pollock ripoff paintings is that what you're saying (laughs) yes he does yes he does he does the string quartets he does the jackson pollock ripoff paintings and he also does um nasa work or he did at least, uh, he would come into class and like brag about um, how he had a 3 a.m. phone call with them because um, they couldn't figure out how to land something or were like doing dumbass shit. Um, <laughs> and he invented new foundations for geometry, as did this time, the time traveler in this book, way better than dumbass Euclid. 
who fucking didn't know shit. Um, it, was this a required class or you just, you want well, what, cl- wait, what class was this? It was, um, I took two classes with him. One was like, it was, it, one was like introduction to formations of structure. Okay. Like it was one of those kinds. And the other was psychology of art. Psychology of art. Uh, cool. That I, I now wish that I had gone to Rutgers for graduate school, uh, actually, which, which was which was something I was seriously considering. Um, but uh, a fine institution of higher learning. Yeah. No. No. I mean that uh, quite quite a character. Um, yeah. Uh, like so, I've wanted to read this book ever since I was in fourth grade, and in Mrs. Gannon's class, watched uh, the 1960 film version uh, of the Time Machine starring Rod Taylor. Um, and you know, this is only like 90 pages long, so I probably didn't need to take 30 years to actually work up to do it. <laughs> um, but I, you're getting there. Yeah, sure. Just, you know, knocking stuff off the bucket list left and right. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, so I have a few reasons, uh, though, specifically for, for wanting to do this on the podcast. Um, and one is that Wells was a socialist. Yay. Uh, Yay. <laughs> he was, he was a member of the Fabian society, which is the, um, late 19th century British, uh, democratic socialist organization. Um, there is a delightful photo of, uh, of Wells, which we are definitely going to tweet to promote this episode where VI Lennon, uh, who was not, by the way, a gradualist Fabianist, uh, he, he, <laughs> that was, was a little reactionary for Lennon's taste. Um, it, he's meeting with Wells in, in the Kremlin and just like kind of staring at him, like he's a total smoke show. Um, and I was like, <laughs> not cause I think he think he's was just, I think Lennon was like really sort of into, into Wells' books. Um, and, and I'm like, well, look, if that's how Comrade Lennon feels, that's good enough for me. <laughs> um, and the other reason to be odd, Wells, like I've started to get back into sci-fi after, after a long time. Um, I was a big fan as a kid. Uh, and then I stopped reading it. Um, and I, and I'm not entirely sure why I, I think I might've subconsciously been, you know, it's like, Oh, that like that, that kind of nonsense bias, which fortunately is going away, certainly in academic circles, but I think in popular culture as well, that like it's for kids or it's like not serious or something like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's not something that like good academics think at all now. Um, and I definitely want to thank uh, our friends and friends of the podcast uh, and Megan and my colleagues, uh, Hillary Strang and Matt Hauska, um, whose terrific podcast Marooned on Mars um, about lefty sci-fi writer Kim Stanley Robinson. You should absolutely check out. Um, and I, I want to thank uh, Hillary and Matt specifically for just teaching me a ton about uh, the genre of, of, of sci-fi. Um, and as a leftist, I'm, I'm just getting more and more interested in how science fiction and other forms of speculative fiction enable us to imagine alterity um, in other worlds and forms of relation that critique or imagine a way out of the crushing geopolitical hellscape of the present moment. Uh, so, so that's, <laughs> you don't say it sounds pretty neat then. I agree. So that, so no, I, I am looking forward to this. I had a lot of fun reading and I think it'll be a fun, fun convo. Yeah, it is it is bonkers. It is. It is really bonkers. And I'll, I mean, we'll talk about this specifically, but, um, I, the, the 1960 film, which I actually, I, I rewatched it, um, recently to kind of prep for this. And I do, I do like, I mean, I think in a lot of ways it does hold up, but it is like, 
it, it's in some ways less bonkers than the novel um, for reasons we'll talk about. Um, it, it, one, it just it doesn't. I, well, one of the craziest things about that to go back to the uh, or this book to go back to what I said at the opening, uh, the year eight hundred and two thousand seven hundred and one. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, that's just like an unimaginably <laughs> long time scale uh, that is just weird in and of itself. Okay, um, so uh, t- today we are going to be talking about the novel's relationship to technology and how it en- envisions futurity. Um, we're also going to be talking about the scale of, of uh, the future in this novel and its uh, sort of deep history. Um, we're going to be talking about whether we want to understand this as realism or romance, how it might be blending those those genres and how it relates to the sort of uh, science fiction questions. And we're also going to be talking about the sort of psychologies of the novel and how it understands character. Uh, so th- this is a short book, um, and the plot can feel a little thin at points, um, which according to Wells and like the, the uh, afterward he wrote to this in the 1930s, it's basically because it's rushed and not finished. Um, it- well, well, you, know, <laughs> you know what? I'll say something about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You may say, oh, this is a short book. It can, it's, it can feel a little thin at points. I say it's not the size of the book. It's the motion of the ocean. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, no, that, yes. I mean, sure. I, 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 I agree with that. Although uh, we are the two uh, uh, re- like readers of 50 million page long novels and are, and are always uh, defending uh, the, the extremely long 18th, 19th century novel from, from Megan's uh, uh, 20th century like <laughs> brevity <laughs> focus. <laughs> so but uh but no i, I yes i agree it does uh, uh, fiction need not be long to be interesting but i do th- I, this is like this is short fiction where like there were definitely chapters when i like dude there's like two pages here and it's just basically like it like it like a like a uh kind of like an elementary school kid would write, would write a fiction assignment you know just like yep. he was padding out the word count it was yeah it's just like very very plot driven not you know but um but anyway but but there are other parts that are not like that at all and i think again that that points to um what wells said about it which was that you know he he wanted to make this a much bigger thing but then it was like oh fuck um i need money i just need to get this out so um and he did and he did write it when he was sort of young and, and kind of struggling um and okay, so we have the central character, um, this inventor who we only know as the time traveler. Um, again, he didn't, the, the lack of character names might also be part of the rushness of it. Yeah, I'm just imagining him in a DMV being like, capital T time, capital <laughs> T traveler. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, I don't, yeah. It would be tough getting a passport these days, I think. Um, but um, so he, so the time traveler is this late Victorian London gentleman, weirdo, um, who spends his days inventing like these ergonomic chairs that they market at 2 a.m. infomercials at, at Sky Mall uh, when, when that existed. Um, and, and he has these weekly dinners at his house with a full few other Victorian professionals uh, with, with names like the provincial mayor, the medical man. The very young man and Philby, because everyone needs a Philby, of course. Oh, Philby. <laughs> it's my guy, Philby. Yeah, Phil, Philby's uh, great, I guess, like, but we don't really know much more about him other than he has an actual name. Um, Good enough for me. <laughs> 
Um, so after one of these dinners where they're all having brandy and smoking cigars, as one does as a gentleman in the 1890s, um, and in the case of the time traveler, apparently uh, taking quite a few massive bong rips, um, he's, he's, he starts talking about yeah. the fourth dimension, man, which is time. Um <laughs> Dude, he sounds like the fucking caterpillar from uh, Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, yes. And he like there might actually be some psychedelics involved here, not not just uh, not just not just marijuana. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think there's more going well, on. I, the nineteenth, it's opium. Honestly, that's probably it's probably just you know a little, little bit of laudanum, right? But uh, yeah, won't hurt you. Anyway, no, Thank not at all. Uh, the uh, middle middle class uh, women of across the nineteenth century were uh, hopelessly addicted to it because of headaches, right? <laughs> we have to get through the day, Tristan. <laughs> um. Yes, I. I mean, indeed, uh, seriously, <laughs> but um. And, and I, so I should say that as, uh, as you know, good science fiction will be like the fourth dimension stuff. Um, that's actually like quite up to date on like contemporary 1890 scientific discourse. The idea, which, you know, is now the fact, uh, that space and time are related is something that physicists of the era are starting to recognize. Um, you know, Einstein's special theory of relativity is just about a decade away. Um, and, and Wells like was up to date with that, or he was, he was like pretty invested and interested in that stuff. He, you know, he, he studied science a bit at school when he had the finances to be at school. Um, and he, and his early career was kind of as a science writer. Um, so he was, so he, he knew something about this, the, these, these topics. Um, so, so he wasn't just a i think string theory is super interesting guy no he well i mean he might have but he, like he's like the version of that that like um you know also like reads well like he read like popular mechanics to to, to get there right okay, so <laughs> <laughs> something like that although i that might be worse honestly um but so yeah so the the time traveler tells his friends he's invented this time machine and quite understandably they're like yeah lol yeah dude lay off the gun stick to you know stick to the respectable pastime of drinking gallons of brandy uh, but 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 he shows them what for he he built a little bit um, a little model of a time machine he flips the lever it disappears and that's like whoa uh, they're weirded out, but they're like, ah, eh, this is kind of probably some parlor trick. Um, the time travelers gets pissy and annoyed with them. And it's like, all right, fuck off. Come back next week. Um, so they do. I mean, and this, this though was, was bananas. Cause I expected, cause it's so short. I was like, all right, we're, we're cracking the time machine open immediately. We're cracking open that time machine. We're getting it. We're going through time. No, there's a small time machine we have to get through first to get to the second larger time machine. And <laughs> it actually takes you through time. I know. And he, and he built, yes. And like he built them seemingly at the same time because he already has the larger one. Like, uh, yeah. Yes. It's, it's, yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's like, I know. Actually, our, uh, our our friend Amanda Davis, I uh, was kind of tweeting that as in regard to this episode, it was like basically this whole plot is driven by these Victorian like wealthy gentlemen who are having a bet basically about like <laughs> yeah, and 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 the and the the model is not quite enough to win this this bet. Uh, he he actually that has to go into the future himself. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 insane. Um, but so anyway, so they, they come back a week later for dinner. The time traveler is late. They're just kind of pissing around. Um, and suddenly he appears in the dining room like fucked up. Um, you know, <laughs> he looks he, like he's been at Coachella. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Or, or yeah, it's like fucking Burning Man. <laughs> right? Like, so, 
and he took his his white tie uh suit to to birdie man right like um um so so this is quoting from the novel um he was in an amazing plight his coat was dusty and dirty and smeared with green down the uh the sleeves his hair disordered and it's and as it seemed to me the, un, the unnamed narrator uh grayer either with dust and dirt or because its color had actually faded his face was ghastly pale. His chin had a brown cut on it, a cut half healed. His expression was haggard and drawn as by intense suffering. And also we should note he's hungry for meat, right? Like they're, they're eating yes. mutton and he's like, you fuckers better save me some of that shit. I have not had meat in a goddamn week. Um, so, <laughs> so, so they're, you know, understandably weirded out. Like, dude, what the fuck happened? Why do you look like you just got from Coachella or Burning Man? Um, and according to the time traveler earlier that afternoon by 1895 time, again, anything with time travel, you got it. You got to stay focused because it's hard to keep like what, <laughs> when happened, okay. like what happens if I went back in time and fuck my grandfather? Like you just all got, <laughs> right? so, um, so he got, uh, in the man size time machine and he went all the way to the year 802,701, um, for big boys. Yes. Yeah. Big boy, big boy time traveling. Um, and it, but it's kind of underwhelming. Like, um, you know, in, in place of this wildly advanced society that he had been hoping for, there are a bunch of, uh, strange ruins. Like there's the Sphinx. Um, there are all these wells and, and giant palaces that have been, are falling apart. And then there's also this strange short child species of humans called the Eloi. Uh, who are morons? I mean, they're 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 complete dipshits. Uh, they have like a five second attention span, are terrified of the dark. They basically spend all day eating fruit and playing and fucking. Um, at, at, at one point he saves this Eloy woman who will talk about, and he's not even entirely sure she is a woman, um, uh, named Weena, uh, from, from drowning, uh, because the, the other Eloy, uh, see this happening and they either don't care or are literally too dumb to know that this is bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and Weena promptly falls in love with him, of course, cause you know, this is, this is a Victorian novel. Um, okay. um, her. I have to ask you how many people drowned in the 19th century because every single fucking novel has a save from drowning love plot or yeah. like reconciliation plot. Yeah, oh no, I know. And and I mean, I you're right. And like I it what well, that's that it's just kind of it's funny when you think about how frequent that is. But it's also I don't know, it's just cuz everyone's wearing so many fucking clothes that like, you know, you would just <laughs> You're you know. heavier and you sink. Yeah, the, you're so heavy, you sink. Like, uh, particularly, like you know, women were so like discouraged, or you know, particularly like, or at least bourgeois women were so discouraged from like any like physical activity generally that people just didn't learn to swim. Like, if it was considered, if it was considered like uh, lower class to swim, I I don't know, but it is it is like a huge 19th century device. Um, it's like imagine just the ultimate heroic act that you can do that will ingratiate you into any circle that you want to get into. <laughs> Like, yeah, you know? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, like, yeah, it really. Like I can open a beer bottle with my teeth. I saved six guys from drowning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. I don't. Or hey, maybe it's uh, it's you know what happened with Percy Shelley. It really, really cast a. It really that really captured the the uh, you know just going off in a tiny little sailboat in the middle of a thunderstorm. Uh, maybe that just really cap captured the century's imagination. <laughs> but, <laughs> Um, 
but okay so so soon the time traveler realizes that the Eloi aren't the only humanoids in this future world there's also a subterranean ape-like species called the Morlocks. Um, this is what the wells are actually for. They, it turns out they're not wells, but they're, they're en- entrances to um, this underworld uh, where the Morlocks live. Um, and, they're and, entrances uh, to the combination of the words orc and warlock. That <laughs> jumble. They're, they're a portal to the fantasy jumble world of all different just, just yes. whatever was in the air. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and the, yeah, the, the I don't know. The Morlocks are kind of like just generic, like monster species, kind of like right. It's there, there, and, and yeah, they do have. I don't know, but because like I, soft. You, what's that? They're soft. He the Morlocks are. Yeah, the Morlocks are soft. Oh right, they've got that. They've got the the, the like downy coat, right? Like they've got. <laughs> They have eyes like <laughs> she had eyes like a deep sea fish. No, they have yeah. eyes like deep sea fish and like yeah. a soft white coat. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but okay, so so the Morlocks are smarter than the Eloi substantially. Uh, they run machinery. They're not afraid of the dark, um, although they do find light <laughs> painful, uh, <laughs> which causes the time traveler to waste all his matches. Matches like this dumbass, like warning them off every time he sees them. He's like, "I'm gonna light a match." It's like it's like, dude, you can invent like fucking sky mall style furniture, and you don't know how to make a torch, right? Like he's, he's also like, "This one's touching my hand." Ew. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. It's there's a very the Morlocks have cooties feel to it, right? They're like <laughs> they're breathing on me. Yeah, um, but uh, but here's the thing, though. Holy shit, they eat the Eloy. They eat the fucking Eloy, right? Um, <laughs> as they should. As they should. Yeah, I mean, who who wouldn't really? Um, and they also steal the time machine and put it in the Sphinx, uh, which that's pretty much the central plot problem here. Um, which, so, which, how did the world which, wind up? What's that? Yeah. Which he's like, where's my time machine? Yeah. 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 He like, he he gets to like 80 mil. He gets to like future 80 million. Right. And he just like wanders off and leaves his time machine. He's like, he comes back. He's like, someone stole it. (laughs) (laughs) And he starts waking up the Eloy who speak a different language than he does and saying, where's my time machine? Where's my time machine? Yeah, exactly. And they're like, dude, we, we have like word for fruit and fucking <laughs> and and like ball like you know the, like, so anyway um so how did the world wind up like this uh we don't know exactly but the time traveler has a theory um and the theory is that once uh the eloy were human aristocrats and the morlocks were the workers um basically the eloy create this upper world paradise and they force the morlocks to live underground but at some point, the Eloy got so lazy and stupid because they didn't have anything to do uh, that, that, that the class power relations flip. Um, it's, and we have this sort of evolutionary proletarian revolt take place. Um, and uh, yeah, again, quoted from the novel. So in the, in the end, above ground, you must have the haves pursuing pleasure and comfort and beauty. And below ground, the have nots, the workers getting continually adapted to the conditions of their labor. Uh, once again, uh, once they were there, they would no doubt have to pay rent and not a little of it for the ventilation of their caverns. And if they refused, they would starve or be suffocated for arrears. But hey, again, jokes on the Eloy because now they're dinner. Uh, <laughs> L-O-L. No, seriously, L-O-L. Yeah, I mean, good for the fucking Morlocks, right? Um, but yeah. anyway, so yeah. <laughs> so, so the time traveler fights the Morlocks off to get back to the time machine. He loses Weena in the process, of course. Oh like, no, you know, Weena! Where's yeah, my Weena? Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Um, and he seems like he doesn't really care that much about that. Um, he goes 30 million years into the future, uh, where everything's even more fucked up. Then he goes back to 1895 to tell the story. And then he disappears never to be heard from again as the, the epilogue tells us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there's a lot here that is quite goofy, right? But there's a lot that is, I, I don't know. And we'll, well, we'll talk about this after right? we go through the context, but um, I do feel like just like how this dystopia took place, particularly having read, um, you know, like primarily like 20th century dystopian uh, and 21st century dystopian sci-fi, like the fact that it, yeah, well, one that it's like it, what happens is this version of like class politics and just, and, and sort of like the position of the aristocracy, just ultimately eating itself. I think that's like super compelling. Um, but also just like how it imagines technology is a problem, I think is, is interesting and very different from like a lot of later 20th century stuff. Having read only The Hunger Games, no other books, everything else I did on Spark Notes, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, um, but it is but it is goofy as all shit too. So, um, but it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's great. I love it. Um, okay, so uh, just quickly, some kind or uh, again, you know, as uh, I'm not by any means a Wells expert. So I'll just say, you know, a couple, a couple big themes I was thinking about as I, as I read this and some mentions and stuff that I read to kind of prep for it. Give us all that sweet, sweet context. Dig deep into the wells of your <laughs> imagination and knowledge. Uh, try not to get eaten by the more. Although I don't know. It doesn't seem like if you weren't like an Eloy idiot, it doesn't seem like what the, I mean, they're, they're afraid of matches, right? Like, <laughs> of matches the the eloy are entertained by matches and the morlocks can't stand light <laughs> yes right, right. <laughs> that's why he wasted all his matches making eloy feel better <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right i forgot it's not because it's not for a while that uh the morlock appear like for because he does yeah he doesn't know about the morlock for a while but he does know that like the eloy are so oh they think the matches are like the greatest thing ever so he's like yeah here i'll just keep striking them i have no <laughs> i have no additional supply my time machine's gone but whatever um, yeah. i thought i could just wake you all up and scream my time machine and somehow that would fix things <laughs> I mean, it's like an idiocracy where the time machine turns out to be a ride that just says time machine and it's and, and they and they get on and it's like the di- like the dinosaurs fighting Hitler and stuff. Like that. <laughs> okay. Oh man. Um but okay, so like yeah, it's been a little while since we've done sci- uh, sci-fi on the show. Um, Frankenstein, I think you know, is and nineteen eighty four in a way. Um, but it it is really a rich genre for leftists and, and radicals, um, which I think will come as no surprise to most of our listeners. And a lot of you guys are, are awesome radicals. Um, uh, you know, Ursula K. Le Guin, Octavia Butler, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. Um, just naming the people that I've read recently. <laughs> There's a lot of other very famous and very kind of uh, leftist. Uh, sci-fi writers um and you know largely again learned so much about this from hillary um hi boss um so but um for for, uh, for reasons i i said at the outset um it's it's a genre that really centers alter- 
similarity or difference and imagining new forms of being or relationships that do open up um, all kinds of critiques of modernity and capital, you know, patriarchy, racism and, and, and other oppressive structures. Yeah, like um, the oppressive structures that cause Yoda to grow to be an adult and not stay a oh baby. God, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. had to do it one time. Yeah. Also, Star Wars is fantasy, not sci-fi. Oh, shit. Don't, don't write the... Don't, <laughs> we're going to get mail. We're going to get mail on that one. Uh, but... <laughs> but um, and fantasy is fine. There's nothing wrong with fantasy. Um but uh, so I'll just quickly mention a, a couple pieces of criticism that I was, you know, reading and rereading, um, kind of prepping for this. Uh, and bragging, so, hello. <laughs> well, I mean, oh, you I know, read my criticism. It's not <laughs> like when I, you know, do 18th century stuff and I can just riff and pull stuff out of my ass. I actually have to, you know, like try to learn a little bit, I, I guess. <laughs> um, so there, uh, one essay I had not read before uh, by by Aaron Rosenberg. Um, it's about how Wells kind of redeploys romance um, as a way of thinking about something like what we now call the Anthropocene, which is, you know, uh, this new understanding of the geological epoch we're in right now, which is the first time it's characterized by humans having impact over on not just climate, but sort of like the, yeah, the, the surface of the earth. Um, and, um, and, and Rosenberg's point is that a narrative with this massive of a time scale and a future, this sort of different, uh, from the present basically obliterates the possibility of the kind of realism the novel form is supposed to be about. And while leftists often love that realism, um, for its focus on how the individual sits amid material circumstances and material conditions, Rosenberg is saying that for some of the questions of forces, uh, that come up against a human future, you know, like climate change and with the Anthropocene, um, Wells thinks that re- realism is woefully inadequate. Um, we need to be able, you know, kind of in a way that is reminiscent to me of Gulliver's travels, um, to move well beyond the sort of the quotidian and the realistic to even get our heads around some of these concepts, which are like real concepts. They're, they're like real things yeah. in the world. Um, and, and, you know, while climate change in the time machine is not man-made, there's not a concept for like anthropogenic climate change yet. Um, and the like fucked up entropy earth of 30 million years in the future is, is so because of natural forces, just thinking about the, how the human and, and, and the environment um, as interconnected, and that relationship is cha- uh, a changing thing does uh, in, in many ways anticipate how literature of the 21st century is reckoning with the Anthropocene. So I, I did appreciate that Rosenberg article for just, okay, like, yeah, how, how might romance or how might something that's not in the kind of realist novel vein be specifically appropriate to that kind of like imagining? Yeah, um, no, that is helpful to think about like the fact that there's not regular characters, there are types where we're traveling through these worlds. That's what's important, not the you know not the like in not what's going on inside weena's head at any moment right yeah yeah exactly yeah i mean i think you're and we'll like i will we'll, we should talk about like psychology i know that's something that you wanted to talk about with this like character psychology but like it's also even so i mean the not you know we've spent a lot of time talking about the gothic right and like the gothic does like it's a novelistic form that imagines things very out of what we would call the everyday but like there is a difference between like a spooky castle in Italy and like traveling 800 fucking thousand years into the, you know, it's just, <laughs> there's like some point at which like what the real or like realism would even mean. Just, it's like, uh, how, like, how, how do you even say that this is the same thing? You know what I mean? But yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been to many a spooky castle in Italy. I have a bowl of pasta and I go straight to bed. 
<laughs> yeah, sure, exactly. <laughs> oh man. Um Okay. Um, so, and well, you know, we'll get to our, you know, uh, more in depth discussion uh, very shortly. Um, but I did just want to shout out uh, the sort of granddaddy Marxist literary critic and theorist Frederick Jameson, um, whose Archaeologies of the Future um, is something I was also thinking about in regard to this. Um, and and that book is all about the connection between a concept of utopia and like what science fiction does. He, he briefly talks about Wells among a lot of other writers. And Jameson has a lot of claims, um, including utopia as constitutive of a concept of a social order, particularly in periods of upheaval, but also of utopias always already impossibility as serving as a kind of satire or critique, right? So like um, – and, and, I, and I just thought that this was really interesting for the time machine, um, which we probably call dystopian. Um, but because it, you know it is a text whose project very much is to imagine what seems like a kind of radical alterity. But specifically as a way into the problems and implications of the present moment of the 1890s or the kind of the turn of the 20th century. So that's it. I'll, that, that, that's kind of the context. Just 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 some cool stuff that I read recently. So. <laughs> but we, love, we love the context. I also just want to make a note for people who probably, you know, it's a, just a fun fact. Most people don't know this. Um, utopia actually means no place. Right. No, I, yeah, but no, I, I think like I don't. I, is that something that people like? General, I, I, that's absolutely right. Um, oh, I, I feel like I, I feel like I read a million papers that were all just like utopia is defined as no place, but in okay, this yeah. novel, it's a place they call home. Right. <laughs> no, but yeah, but like, so that is, that is that kind of like fact that like, you know, you could imagine any number of like undergraduate papers is like, oh, wow, I just found out what this word means. And so that that's like the end. That's like, you know, you know, they're just going to base all of the, the paper on that. Um, but I also do think like, yeah, I mean, that's is right. It means no place. And like every time I remember that, it's like, oh, right, that's what it means. But I don't think that's typical. Like we don't like carry that with us when we talk about like utopian stuff. I mean, there's well, I guess we do to the extent that it's like like to say something's utopian means it's like almost fanciful. But like mm -hmm. fanciful is something different than like no play, like no place kind of flags. It's like not just like fantasy quality, but like impossibility, right? Yes. It also, it, it like suggests that it takes place in a black hole. Right. Y yeah. It, which is like, I mean, that kind of goes all the way from fantasy to like, it's ominous in some way, right? Like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I think that that, I think there's, I think that's a thing. Yeah. Which would kind of collapse the distance between utopia and dystopia, among other things. Ah, there you go. We're yeah. we're going to get to the Hunger Games after all. <laughs> so, no. But yeah, so see, no, the utopia, no place. That's that's a great point to raise, you know. But um, <laughs> but um, okay. So well, a few things that we're we're going to talk about. Um, but I like I thought maybe just the world, right, and like what the problem of this world is, um, and the relationship uh of the novel to like technology and imagining like a technological future um i i kind of wanted to start there just because it is like it, it, well it's it's very it's different it's very different from the way a lot of 20th century and 21st century uh stuff imagines that problem um and like so i mentioned the 1960s film earlier um and so basically well, there are a few key differences in that film from from the the novel. One is that the time traveler stops a couple times on the way to eight hundred and two thousand. Um, he stops 
in uh, in World War One, um, and and then he stops again in World War Two during the Blitz, um, and just gets like increasingly pessimistic. Like, okay, I guess it's just like warfare is the future. And then the last time he stops before he goes way into the future, um, it's in it's like in the 1960s, like kind of the near present of that film, and there's a nuclear war taking place. Um, and so, and, and again, like so, one the atomic bomb, but also the fact we're going to have two massive world wars. That's not something Wells would obviously have known in in 1890. Um, but it is the problem with that film is that like we're going to kill like our weaponry is going to kill we're going to kill ourselves with our weaponry and like technology is going to basically put us in a position where we destroy ourselves like yeah like through violence and then yeah, and then he learned also that like there's no oxygen in the future and, and basically like the the Eloy Morlock split in in the film happens because the Eloy stayed on the surface and the Morlocks went into the fallout shelters is basically what happens um, but that's like completely, that's completely different though, right? Than the, than the novel. Completely different from the novel. Way less, uh, science-y, quote unquote. I think. Yeah. Because this thing is, it, because the, the book, it's political in a different way. Because the thing that's interesting about the book is that he get gets into his little time travel chair, uh, and he goes into the future and he like he observes sunsets and sunrises that's how he gets into the future yeah and then he sees a bunch of buildings and he goes communists i found <laughs> communists like as if that would be the first thing you would think you know like like what the like really yeah yeah right so why is that why yeah why why is that what he thinks then because he's looking for, um, well, his like his time travel guy is like looking for society because he knows, of course, that we live in a society. Right. So yes. He, so he's looking for those kind of clues as opposed to the kind that you need when you've traveled through time in like a, a rickety porta potty. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Right. Um I like kind of threat like what's sort of like the threat although I don't know I mean like I I think that like ultimately the neither the time traveler nor the novel like sides with the like the the aristocrats who became the Eloy I mean I think there is a sense there that like what happened is like is well yeah I mean what did you expect like um and and almost like you know I said there was kind of like an evolutionary like kind of proletarian revolt with the Morlocks, but I kind of feel like that that is what the novel's saying, right? That it's like um, that you, you know that 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 at some point it is like the, the kind of base and superstructure just sort of going to flip on their own. Um, yeah, I I barely know though because because the thing is like so he says that they they can't come up because their eyeballs won't allow it. Yes. And so what so honestly I'm not I it's a real question. What's up with that? Yeah, um well, I, I mean so like my my like professional answer there is that even though they eat the Eloy, right? And Which even, doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me. <laughs> no, I, honestly, it doesn't even seem like that big of a deal to the Eloy because it's like they're afraid of the dark because that's when the Morlocks come out. But largely, they're just, you know, they're kind of like playing, they're throwing a ball around and like eating fruit and just don't, you know. So it's like they, 
they 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 don't seem that like uh, they don't seem to feel their oppression really <laughs> in any kind of sense. But the Morlocks, right? Like they they've kind of lost the ability or access to live in the the nice upper world, right? So like, there's a way that e- even though they like you know, they, they still have the technological means and they're smarter and they're like preying in some sense on the Eloy. They're still like kind of prisoners of their material circumstances that the ancestors, of the Eloy kind of forced upon them. So it sounds like what he's saying is that your material conditions become, uh, or like making the point that your material conditions, of course, are not limited to the stuff in your life, that it also is, it becomes your body, like in a literal way um but it also allows so the thing that's funny about that to me uh is that that's what allows them to remain apart so it's like this very convenient like oh hey look i can't live together anyway sort of device so i don't know what it's doing right yeah i I don't i don't know either i don't know either and and the, the other thing too that like so right, so the the twenty like the twentieth century pro like the twentieth century version of like sort of technological disaster and dystopia, it is always because like uh it, well for most of the you know the second half of the twentieth century it's war right like the nuclear bomb is gonna is it's that there is no human future after that. Um, now it's like industrial pollution is the is is what it's so it's like it, it's kind of like an active harm to ourselves that we're that 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 is that it feels very immediate but like this also views technology as a problem or a threat but it's because it makes stuff too nice right like or at least for the eloy like they've made a world where like they are their needs are met so easily and again through through largely this you know kind of like oppressed labor but but like they've 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 enabled themselves to live in a world in which they really don't have to work at all and as a result they become complete like just babbling morons right the, yes the theory the theory is like it's exactly out of the british royal family playbook it's like we have to send the weak one to scotland <laughs> to to swim shirtless in a lake while the other boys shove him because it'll make him better in some way yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and, and yeah and i have to say like you know i that I don't know. Like, there's a there's almost like a Protestant work ethic here that, as a Marxist, I'm a little like, well, that's dumb. But but I mean, like, I where, where it comes back to me is like, no, actually, I'm kind of on board with this. Is the the captive labor force is like kind of so integral to like why technology has this bad effect that I'm like, you, you know what I mean? It's like if it was just like, well, if the Eloy only like had more stick to it of this, then like this wouldn't have <laughs> happened. Um, and it does say that, but it's also like they don't have that because they've like basically enslaved this other population and made them run all the machinery. Right. Yeah. So it's like, what's the, uh, we, we clearly have a moral of the story. Like what's the moral? Because he, he has some sort of like he wants to side with his uh with his hairy deep sea fish eyed cousins I guess mm-hmm. but he can't quite because he f- he finds them gross for some reason whereas yeah. he finds the like aristocratic uh ones to be like 
hot in that 90s waif Calvin Klein gene model kind of way, but also a Bratz doll and Baby Yoda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, let me should like, maybe we should read. Um, the- that wasn't just me having like a uh, just a complete like firing all the wires in my brain. That's a that's truly what the choices are. Yes. Uh, let me let me find where. Uh, oh, I just I just actually uh, happened on the line where he says communism said I to myself. <laughs> but he's like he's looking at. Yeah. Just, 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 uh, uh, yeah, like, right. So one of the, one of the features of this world, he knows is because there seem to be the, all these big communal buildings. Apparently the single house and possibly even the household had vanished, uh, here and there among the greenery were palace like buildings, but the house and the cottage, which formed such characteristic features of our own English landscape had disappeared. Communism said I to myself. <laughs> it's that's like, uh, and I can't tell you the number of times I've woken up and said communism to myself. <laughs> but that's like me lo- getting time travel to an apartment complex and being like, everyone lives together in this society. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> but okay, so like, here's the first Eloy he sees. Uh, this is in section three, uh, the very end of section three. Um, then I, then I heard voices approaching me coming through the bushes by the white Sphinx where the heads and shoulders of men running. One of these emerged in a pathway leading straight to the little lawn upon which I stood with my machine. He was a slight creature, perhaps four feet high, clad in a purple tunic, girdled at the waist with a leather belt, sandals or buskins. Um, I could not clearly distinguish which were on his feet. His legs were bare to the knees and his head was bare. Noticing that I, uh, noticing that I noticed for the first time how warm the air was. Um, he struck me as being a very beautiful and graceful creature, but indescribably frail. His flushed face reminded me of that more beautiful kind of consumptive. <laughs> that, that, yeah, he's like, <laughs> he loves these like Henry James ass looking like little guys. Yeah, he does. Um, it, he says that hectic beauty of which we used to hear so much. Um, at the sight of him, I suddenly regained confidence, I think, because he's like, I can own this guy. Um, I took my hands from the machine. Um but like no, uh, the the yeah, like well, also I love that 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 we used to hear so much. So wait, is he saying that like earlier Victorians were hornier for consumpt for consumption than than he is, or is that like there's we, no way, like, there's no way, <laughs> no, he is horny at is hell for it. He is working out every psychosexual pathology that he has on these little yeah. creatures. He's like sometimes I thought to myself how much I just wanted to grab one and punch it right in the fucking face, yeah. and then he's like this the one i want to fuck yes yes right and 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 the other thing too about them is that um which i'm not sure if the time traveler is like into or he well i mean i think it's both like he's with everything about the eloy he seems simultaneously into it but also to view it as um unsettling or like threatening in some way um and so so this is section your girlfriend's in a cult yeah. <laughs> and you're trying to get along with the cult. Right. Right. You're like, oh, they're okay. They're like, it's like a like a like a sexy consumptive, you know, like a cool 19th century thing he's doing. Yeah. Yes. Exa- yeah. Um and, and so so when he when he saves Weena, um, he he says, like, in the afternoon I met my little woman as I believe it was. Okay. And and so <laughs> right, on. so like so so there's another thing is that it's like that. That like gender, like part part of what his like sort of entropied 
again, in, in, in the novel's terms, right. I'm not saying like the, the, an absence of like clear gender boundaries is anything like that, but like in the novels, like part of like the entropy or the, the, the shrinking of the Eloy, um, is like a lack of, or a loss of gender difference. Right. Um, but like, yeah. but, but, but which, which is in, which is like striking, I think, because like Weena. they're like, there's no doubt to me that she's like an erotic object of a kind. Right. I mean, they're like sleeping together. He's kissing her all that, you know, it's, it's not, it's a little, I mean, it's, you know, it's in fairly like kind of mass press vague um, late 19th century terms, but still it's like, I mean, she is like, they're, they're, they're holding hands. They're going on walks. He's taking her piggyback everywhere. Yeah. But yeah. And it, because like, they're also described as childlike in a way that is just like, so like, it's really fucked up. It's really fucked up. Yeah. Um, like bonkers fucked up. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. The Eloy, what the fuck is going on there? Um, I don't quite know. Yeah, no, but it, it, but it's like the thing that, the thing that attracts him to them is what repulses him from them. Yeah. So like, and the other thing, the other complication that you have to address when you talk about any part of this is that the, the, the time traveler himself is inventing elaborate theories about everything. And they're like wrong three quarters of the time. So you can barely trust what he says about shit. Yes. Like, I don't know if he knew a Wiena ever, but. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, right. Well, yeah. And I mean, I guess there there even is like one potential reading, I suppose, would be that like this is all bullshit, right? I mean, like, like all like the other characters absent the narrator really seem like yeah i don't know it seems i, I don't think that's re- like he really went into the future and then he disappears which is like well no that that proves it happened and he has this flower in his pocket that doesn't seem to be an exit species but like yeah i mean there i i think like i don't know i don't know how much i personally as a reader want to carry that but like i think that there is there are reasons to be skeptical of of the whole narrative and the time traveler as as a kind of um like second order narrator too cuz th- that's it like the, we have it we have this unnamed narrator and then we have like who is repeating the time traveler story which is already this kind of weird sort of distancing phenomenon right right and yeah cuz the time traveler is supposed to be like mr cool guy who you hang on his every word yeah by the fireside um but but no but i think that i guess i guess isn't it saying wouldn't it be just like a a a person to get smart enough to invent a time machine and then go into the future society and really fucking do it and then misunderstand everything (laughs) yeah yeah right that that like technological sophistication doesn't actually do fuck all of anything in terms of like you know, like a valid analysis of like history or material condition or human character or anything like that. Right. It's like, great. You invented a time machine like that. That tells us nothing about your sort of like analytic capacity or posture towards the rest of the world. Um, Except the fact that you're the kind of a fucking guy who tried to build a time machine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And everybody knows that guy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and that guy, I sad to say, often sucks. Uh, oh, <laughs> hey, Doc Brown is great. Like I'm not, you know, like <laughs> Marty McFly kind of sucks, but Doc Doc Brown's awesome. Um, but cool guy. 
so okay so like actually maybe then this is a good place to talk about the kind of formal question and like realism lack of realism like the romance thing um and there are a few questions i have with this right like one is that why the fuck is it 800 trillion years in the future you know like like i mean because like i well, I mean, shit, like, like Twain, who we're going to read in a couple weeks, right? He has like a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Like, I mean, there, there are other ex- like contemporary-ish examples of like uh, time, like some kind of time travel, but like are all within some sort of like legible like human history, right? Like, and 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 as a, the 1960 movie again, like there are waypoints, right? He stops fairly soon in the 20th century and then goes way the fuck into the future. Why is Wells like, I'm going to go from 1895 to 802,701. Like what, what does that get him? And also like, does that put like pressures on what we would think of as like the realist novel or like, just like what realism might even mean in that context? It's a good question because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like you could pick another big number. Yeah. Like how about 10,000 years in the future? like a smaller big number. How about 10,000 years in the future? Right? Like. Yeah, we can do that. We can go we can go more leagues under the sea than you can even imagine. We can do all the thousands of everything. Yeah. It doesn't need to be like it, I I just I don't know what the absurdity of the large number is supposed to do. And and then, like another thing that I'm thinking sort of along those lines is that I like a time travel narrative that kept all of this within some sort of recognizable boundary of what we would think of as human civilization would be telling a different story than when you when you go way way past those bounds, right? Like I was kind of doing the so I think like like our species, what Homo sapien sapien. I think like what we're like forty fifty thousand years old, something like that. Is that right? Like I'm not a day over twenty nine. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah, me neither. No, I'm 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 85, as as everyone knows. Um, but I, I'm silent generation. <laughs> but <laughs> but God um, is Mikey, silent generation. Um, but I I think that 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 that's roughly, and you know, if you're a biologist, feel free to yell at me. Um, but like, so this is like 20 times longer than that, right? So it's like so, and and, and like I think well, I think they didn't quite know like um you know, sort of evolutionary epics as well as we do today in the late 19th century. But like, I think like Wells has a sense of like what those looks like. And so when you take it on that scale, you're no longer telling a story about like civilizational pressures, like that humans are themselves necessarily creating. I mean, you're telling that in part, but you're also telling the story of like human as species, right? Like, like, like that went like an, a, a, a period, oh, like, yeah. like a period of time where like what's going to matter is like geology and like evolutionary forces and less so the kind of historical human forces that um you know that that we well like you know that as like kind of like a marxist materialist you would you would generally think are the most important um yeah but i but i but i wonder if that's not why um I wonder if that's not both why the romance makes it sort of easier to understand and also that the plot itself is so predictable mm-hmm. because it's saying something about the fact that like the more things change, gosh darn it, the more they stay the same. So yeah. you can still predict everything that's going to happen 80 billion quadrillion years in the future because there's something about people. Yes. It's essential. 
I don't know. There's something about and, and but right, yes, absolutely. And I think, but unfortunately, <laughs> one of those somethings about people is that we like we're ultimately subject to environmental, geological, biological pressures that we don't really have control over. I mean, the way the world got fucked up, like to a degree, and by the time travelers theory, like it, it, there is human agency involved, right? Like the the kind of class conflict that that's something that presumably people hopefully could choose to not do, like in mass, um, and they don't. But like, but so and like, yeah. We I only talked briefly about this. There's this whole, in addition to the Eloy Morlock thing. There's this whole other narrative of the Earth is getting hotter. Um, and like, it, you know, after he leaves, like eight hundred thousand, he goes thirty million years in the future, and he's gotten to this point where like the Earth has like stopped moving, and it's super close to the sun. And um, and that, that like that is picking up on this bonkers theory uh, from the late nineteenth century of call, it's called a uh, tidal friction, where basically like the idea is that as the earth goes around the sun, there's friction there. And so it's going to get slower and slower and slower and everything's going to collapse. Um, and you know, so, so like in some ways, okay, it looks like climate change, the Anthropocene in other ways, it's, it's very different, but like what is happening is so like alongside the human narrative, there's these much bigger natural forces that like the Eloy or the Morlocks, they have no agency over that, but the, like their, their whole like civilizational drama exists in this much bigger context that the time machine enables the time traveler to perceive. Yes. Because he talks about stuff like, um, Oh, I noticed that it, most of the stars weren't in the same place, but I noticed like the Milky way was still in the same place it was before. And also like the Thames is still there, but it's about a mile in yeah. some other direction. Things that you couldn't possibly, I mean, it's like the frog in the pot of boiling water shit, you know? Yeah. Like you can't perceive it. Ch- you don't perceive, uh, changes your experience, like as you're living through it. Yeah. Yeah, that could be total bullshit. I have no idea. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think I no. I, I think that's right. But but so then that that, that question that it, like what the romance is doing right to take up that the theme of that that Rosenberg article that that I had talked about. Um, and and yeah, like so in the in the in the romance, like you know, it's not characters, it's types. It's like everything's already foreground is going to happen anyway. Um, like. And, and you know, for those very reasons, like romance is often perceived to be like a reactionary genre. But then, like, so is is this ultimately like a deeply reactionary novel? Like, we like politics don't fucking matter. Don't like, know. ultimately, we're just gonna know. fall into the sun. <laughs> uh, like, uh, it, it was like holy. It, this whole thing was just like, well, we no matter what, we'll still be on a rock spinning throughout our space, uncontrollably hurtling toward our inevitable doom. Yeah. So you know, society and such. But uh, look at the stars and get your head out of your ass buddy yeah that's right um i mean it is half baked but in an interesting and great way yeah no definitely um well and also i mean i I think like you know i mean bleak like, like a sort of like bleak sense of like the distant future isn't necessarily the same thing as a like fuck it don't try to change anything in the present like that because i because i do think that like we could take the Eloy Morlock narrative and say like, okay, this is signaling something about like class relations, about like oppression, about technology that we could do something about. And then maybe like the bigger picture, like kind of um, epochal changes that we don't have agency over than that. Like, 
it, it's, it's like, okay, well, so focus, focus on those aspects of the present that you do. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Oh, I mean, it's like, it's like, what do you make of a, of the fact that they're like, there's no fucking praxis in this. Yeah. Like, it, like the Eloy can't do shit about shit and they don't understand where anything comes from. No, 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 no idea whatsoever. Um, and, as, so if that is if that is the oppressor, then like what do you what do you do with that? And it does have to do with like these geologic time scales, yeah. I think, but also like the Morlocks, like what are we to to take it to be a good thing that they've begun snacking on the Eloy? Like right. is that is it supposed to be good? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know, right? Like, I, I, I really don't know because the time traveler does he like he does frame like what happened there as like a matter of oppression, right? Like they were forced into the, these mines. They like you know that the Eloy had ultimate power over them, and that and you know so like they're they're portrayed as underdogs in the sense that like you would root for them, but like the thing is, we don't actually see any of that. We just see this does world. He have- yeah, does he have any fucking idea if that's true? No, well, right. <laughs> it, doesn't yeah. make, it doesn't make any sense. He just says it's just like in London. So, so, so that they could have just been like that. Their eye didn't have to be because they were forced underground. They could have. I mean, I know evolution. I'm again also not a scientist, but like they could have just fucking been just just look got the hair and the eyeballs yeah you're right and 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 we like you know we 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 said the time traveler might not be a reliable narrator so like is this theory about how this world happened reliable? i you know i, I think that's a question i i think i think that novella kind of wants that to be a question i think it does too i think it does too because it's like so it makes clear that the narrator also is like oh maybe you'll find communism <laughs> yeah yes yeah. <laughs> and then he arrives and he's like communism so i think that there's something about that it's like if if you're seeking you're seeking a better world um i don't know and it's like is there there could be i i mean pull any number of lessons out of my ass on this like you're seeing a better world and you find you don't find one like what do you do with it or what do you do with the rest of your life what does the time traveler do he just fucking like jets disappears yeah um yeah how how do we read other people's you know like uh, societies that aren't ours um uh, i mean i don't have any idea may like I think the open-endedness of this is what sort of does make it a very interesting novella. Um, I wonder too, if like that idea of it, of it being sort of like, like uh, a provisional, like kind of a sketch that he intended to do more with at a later date um, might also have something like that. that What we're seeing here is like a lot of possibilities of the future that he's working through. And and as a writer, hasn't quite figured out how to tie those ends together. And I think it's probably some combination Mm -hmm. of both of those, you know, um no i mean i think so too but it's it it, it's just like (laughs) it's uh as they said on some reality show that i can't remember it's a very convenient narrative (laughs) that if you educate yourself too far you educate yourself into like congenital stupidity right 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 you know, like like i i don't know and like if you work too hard you become only fit for the underground and and you can only be bested by a match yeah right right yes yeah um yeah um 
I know we like, yeah, there's tons of stuff to talk about, but I just like, <laughs> I keep going back to like, you just burning through these fucking matches. Like you build a fucking time machine and you don't know how to build a torch. What the fuck? <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure he knows how to build a time machine. This all could have been fucking bullshit. Could have been laudanum, right? Uh, but exactly. Yeah. Uh, Hell yeah. Um, well, okay, and so like I, uh, you, you had raised um, when we were kind of talking earlier, just a, a very good question about character in this. I, I, I do want to talk about that a, a little bit, just like why, yeah, and the blankness of these people, and I think it might go to to the the romance ness that that we were talking about. But but one thing I do want to say is that I wonder if there's a way in which our newish concept of the Anthropocene does like enliven certain things that wells is getting at but doesn't quite have the like conceptual vocabulary to get there yet and and the way, reason i say that is because like so we like the, we're talking about like a difference between um history where there is like some sort of human agency uh or, or just like a human like kind of understandability versus like geologic time where there's not um one thing about like one feature of the anthropocene and this is something that uh like uh, depesh chakrabarty the um, chicago historian has has written about um and among others is that so with the anthropocene like you are actually saying that humans have agency over geologic time but like not in any kind of positive sense right like we we talk about agency typically as like you know empowering or agential and this is saying that as a species we are having an agency that is like completely fucking us and killing us right like and so so i just wonder if like there's a way in which like if we were to take that like like 21st century understanding and something like climate change and apply it back to the story that wells is telling if that might it like like if he's actually on to some stuff that he doesn't even quite know that he's on to you know what i mean i wonder yeah because i because it's it's like okay so what if what what if you had a time machine yeah or what you know, and he even says like, I wish I had a, I wish I had a camera with me so I could have taken a picture of all the, all the Morlocks in that cave. Oh boy, this flash sure would have scared them. Yeah. Um, but like you'd go to the future and you'd you'd go far into the future and you'd see what happens with global warming. Yeah. Like you'd, of course, fucking of course. Yeah. And, but and then, but, but then, but then, like, what would that get you, though? Right? Like, I mean, we we know that shit's going to get fucked. You know what? It's like, so it's like, as an individual, that might enable like some kind of perspective. But like, with like in a way that could like actually build a politic out of that, I like a mass politic out of that, the kind that you would need to like address something on that scale. I I don't know. You know? No, I mean, this is just like this is this is uh, a purely in my mind palace. But like, I'm saying, if you go to the future for evidence about what happened, yeah. star society. Yeah. 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 No, I know. I, 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 yeah, I, I know. I, I mean, I, I under, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. What I, but what, On a fact finding mission. Yeah. But, but like, I guess what I'm saying is that like, and, and th- this might be sort of a point of alignment, like between, if you were to rewrite this in like the 21st century, like what does the time machine actually get him? He has this like cockamamie story that no one believes. Right. So like he has individual evidence of like some kind of futurity, mm-hmm. but like, what is that effect actually going to be on the world? Does it have an effect that's like broader than like him as the individual? I, I don't know, you know? No, I think, I think resoundingly not. And I think like they, it gets flagged very early on when, um, the psychologist is like, ah, yes, psychology, the fourth dimension. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, right. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> and so, and so actually, like the, the the kind of the the final sort of thing that we we were, said we were going to talk about, which is character, right? Like that. Like, thanks for reminding me of that. I had forgotten that. Like, it is consciousness that drives time for this, right? Like the, the time traveler says yeah. that explicitly, like, like that, 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 uh, the three spatial dimensions, like we, you know, we can move in and see, but like, we don't under, we, we don't recognize the fourth dimension time as such because our consciousnesses are prisoners of it. Right. But you can, but you can fall back into that. You can, you're really time traveling when you daydream. Right. Yes. Yeah. You just, can only do it in one direction. Oh, wait a minute. There's a time machine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, okay. So that like, maybe like scratch everything that we've been talking about and what this, this is actually like a psychonaut adventure, right? Like what it is, is it? I think it is. Yeah. It's like, it's not, yeah. Right. Like what, what this is, is like the, 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 the sort of imaginative technology actually, no, we're not, we're not. And, and I don't, to be clear, I, I don't actually think this is true. Although I think it is like a productive, like yes. And reading, right. Would be that like, yeah, that ultimately what this is about is like how, like, like the, the conditions under which your psychology is kind of trapped and imprisoned. Right. And, and like how, how we experience time and what if there was a way to not experience time in, in that sort of limited kind of way where it's just like, you time travel when you get high or when you're sort of yeah. daydreaming or like you know, on the verge of sleep or something like that. Yep. What the la- just the one quick thing I want to say is that um the I am happy that there is there's that novelistic element those the, of character uh because it leads to an exchange that could only happen in a novel and is hysterical, which is the time traveler saying, oh, you know, uh, you move left, right, and center, whatever. And um, and one of the guys is like, well, but you can move any direct direction in space. And the time traveler is like, no, you can't. And the guy's like, but balloons. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, balloons. Yeah, right. The, uh, the yes, the... And he says, then like whispers like balloons again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah, he's like, right, exactly. He's very like, I, I fucking have you, motherfucker. Right? Let's like, you still, you still haven't done anything about my my balloon objection. Yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, yes. Okay. So I mean, just uh, the uh, why aren't there characters in this? Right? Like, why is the like the nineteen sixty film gives the time traveler a name? His name's George. Uh, and, and Philby is this endearing Scottish gentleman who's like, George, you cannot be gone into the future. But, uh, but they, but yeah, they're like the medical man. The, like there's a way, right. Like, okay, so cool. We, we got this, we got this new theory we're working at, that this is, that this is much more like focused on psychology, um, but then it like, it does, it's sort of like all of the characters are just fucking types, right? They're just, t- they're types yeah. of like late Victorian professional masculinity, you know, like, 
But it's like, it's like the the whole thing is like the psychologist is a dumbass who can't follow anything. And he just says like, ah, yes, psychology when he's when he's sort of called. And then there's a uh, a newspaper man who says nothing and screams headlines. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a very young man who just says like, I like time travel. And then we have the narrator who's like communism where can i find it i need more communism get me more communism i need truckloads so so like i don't even like like and then the time travel is just like i i went through time and i lost my girlfriend yeah and i'm filthy dirty yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah right they're all dumbasses they're all very superficial they're like yeah, okay. So I but uh, all right, well I don't know, then maybe as the like if it, it it's it isn't it like and it is invested in consciousness and psychology. It tells us that it is, right? Um then yeah, like I don't know. Maybe it it's uh, it's making some sort of claim about how like um Mm, like richly individuated character isn't really like like it's getting at like some sort of commonality of like of psychological experience that uh, you know that that does look sort of typey that isn't like so super individuated um which i mean honestly i mean that like you know psychology is very much about like what's happening inside like the mind of an individual but it also is very much it like it's a, it's a it's a science that is also trying to classify right like what are the recognizable features of x y and z sort of like psychological condition or or you know uh mental t- like that like that's that's a thing that psychology does as well i i don't know i'm just kind of spitballing here it's something I just don't know. I mean, I just I just think it's important and it, it it drove me nuts the whole time is that we're just we're we're looking through the lens of a guy looking through the lens of a transparent dumbass. Yeah. Yeah. Like like he just says shit and you talked about this, but he makes pronouncements like I see humanities on the wane. The ruddy sunset set me thinking of the sunset of mankind. Yeah. Like uh like like uh Yet, come to think, it's a logical it's a logical consequence enough. Strength is the outcome of need. Security sets a premium on feebleness. And then he talks himself into all of his fucking theories. And he's like, well, actually, the agriculture they have, well, we're just not very sure about our agriculture. And they have better agriculture. And that's and that's just, they got so smart because they got all the fruit they needed. Theory. Yeah, done. Yeah. Well, so like he's doing bad science too, right? Like, I mean, you don't just like science isn't yeah. just like taking very superficial, like evidentiary observation, uh, or maybe not even superficial, but limited. I mean, he's he's not there for very long and making these grads. It's like, like, what does he know about the fucking Eloy and Morlock? He knows the Eloy are like these dumbasses who he thinks are weirdly hot and the Morlock are these soft furry creatures that live underground. Ah, you know what happened was like some sort of communistic evolutionary class struggle. That's what happened. You know, it's like, <laughs> like what the fuck, right? Or like, Oh wow. Okay. So that like, I went 30 million years in the future, this like wildly different world, but like, I'll tell you what the fuck happened is the tidal friction slowed the, the earth down and now we're in the sun. Like, you know, like <laughs> so, anyway, He's just making shit up about the like, creatures he finds. That's, that's yeah. all that's happening. He's a bad scientist. He took a bunch of laudanum and he, you know, that that's what this is about. <laughs> he's a bad scientist, but he's a fun guy. Yeah. Uh, debatable, right? <laughs> um, 
Um, but I, I did. I, I did. Uh, I don't know. I feel like we dunked on this book a bit, but I, I actually did really enjoy it, and I think, I loved it. Um, yeah, and and, and I th- I think it is a compelling read, and I also think that it um it does it, like yeah. I mean, I, I think I think that it, it I think that it is asking a lot of really rich questions, um, and maybe doesn't have answers for those, but that's not you know that's not really its job either. Um, I think it's cool. I think it's just like I I even if it is just like some dude sat down to write about to get in a time machine <laughs> yeah this is pretty dope it is outcome of that <laughs> it is um okay so katie do you have some questions i do i have some questions um so i want to find out uh which time travel movie you are okay okay so i have a series of questions for you and your choices of time travel movie that you could turn out to be are of course, classic hot tub time machine. Mm-hmm. Story about a hot tub that's also a time machine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then we have The Lake House, a movie about where Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock give each other love letters through a mailbox at a lake house. <laughs> the way- they're apart in time. They're apart in time. Oh, okay. the mailbox is a portal through time. Oh, okay. I got that. I've got that movie confused with a different movie involving Sandra Bullock and uh, that uh, Ryan Reynolds. Oh, and I was like, I don't think that that had anything to do with time travel. And then the third movie you could be is called About Time, and it's about time I tell you about it. That movie. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. Um, that movie is about uh, a, a, a young man who comes of age and finds out that all the men in his family can time travel. Oh, okay. His dad tells him he has a bad night out, and his dad's like, "Listen, buddy, you may not have fun at that party, but we can time travel. Okay. So get her done. Um, okay." If I know the exact power that you need to travel into the future, which is 1.21 gigawatts, can I be back to the future instead? (laughs) If by any chance you know that, (laughs) totally. No, no, no. This this sounds awesome. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. So um, question one, what would you rather be conveyed through time in? A, a hot tub. B, a mailbox that transports messages exactly two years into the future, so essentially it's just a phone that time travels your texts. Or the jizz of your forefathers. <laughs> uh, I mean, D, a DeLorean, as I've already indicated. <laughs> like, no, okay. no, I mean, like, I, I so, it, like... Obviously, I want to be a hot tub time machine, and like uh, I would say that. I also like the the the, the love letters thing sounds vaguely interesting. Um, the jizz of your forefathers, man. That's that's some like aristocratic determinism right there. <laughs> you know, that, like I'm not, I'm, I'm I'm not down for. Also, uh, my ancestors were not in any way fancy. Uh, uh, which I, but you know, at that, I, honestly, like let's look at the the what happens to aristocracy in the time machine, or just generally when they just become sort of in, inbred uh, disasters. Um, I'll go. The, the hot tub is the way to go. The hot tub. <laughs> Get in the damn hot tub and go through time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, 
So question number two is, if there is a God, what would you like him or her to say to you when you reach the pearly gates? A. Hello, I'm Keanu Reeves' father in the lake house who is a famous architect who built the lake house with his own two hands, including the magic mailbox. (laughs) B. Hey, nice to meet you. I'm Father Time, hot tub time repair man, and I do all my hot tub repair myself, obviously. (laughs) Oh, shit, hot tub time machine (laughs) repair man. (laughs) God, what the fuck? No, and then uh see hey nice to meet you let me grab saint peter and he'll show you the little factory where we inject the time travel magic into sperm <laughs> yeah. uh yeah i i uh the the i i mean i i god is the as the hot tub repair man definitely <laughs> definitely okay you're making good choices here today <laughs> you're you're getting a hot tub self-care good choices. i also don't want saint peter talking about jizz i have to say but no never <laughs> luckily you avoided it <laughs> no one's thinking about it now <laughs> okay which of the following would be the coolest thing to say during a serious conversation a, maybe what you need isn't in here. Maybe what you need has been in here all along. <laughs> Father time, a.k.a. hot tub <laughs> repairman. Okay. Yeah. Or B, <laughs> all the time traveling in the world can't make someone love you. Tim Lake could be Lake House, but maybe a trick. We don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> Or C, oh, we have a comedian. What did you eat, clowns for breakfast? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I got to take C. Like, that's, like, that, that's the kind of like, I did, I was, all right. So I feel bad about admitting this. I actually like Norm MacDonald <laughs> quite a bit. And one thing I lo- like, well, none of my, my favorite Norm MacDonald bits are when he just does not give any shit whatsoever. And so he just gets up and starts telling anti-jokes, like written off of note cards. And that last one very much has that, like, would you eat a cloud for breakfast? But, I mean, that's awesome. I'm actually going to, I'm going to use that in real life at some point. So let's say see. Uh, has that energy okay (laughs) final question (laughs) final question which of the following is closest to your personal motto kick some past (laughs) a choice a b a new funny film about love with a bit of time travel (laughs) or c what if you found the one you were meant for, but you lived two years apart? Oh, uh, kick some past, man. <laughs> you also could have said, I also would have accepted, turn back the clock and your history from Time Cop. Oh, yeah. Uh, but my, my, my wife is a huge Time Cop fan. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> uh so that, that's it's a uh yeah um yeah kicks some past okay 
Well, Tristan, by overwhelmingly your hot tub time machine. Fuck yeah. Hopefully not Rob Cordry's character, but <laughs> No, you're you get to be the you get to be the king of the movie, the hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is no, this is great. I uh hot tub time machines. You've seen top tub time machine, right? I've never seen Hot Tub Time Machine. Oh, well, like, fuck, you got to watch Hot Tub Time Machine. It's I mean, it's one of those things that just, it sounds so idiotic, and it is, but it's actually like a really good time. Like, <laughs> I never thought I'd be embarrassed to say I have never seen Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> no, it's, no uh, it's I, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Um, time Cop too. Uh, yeah, it's, no, I, 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 I um, Christine was, was watching some, some, uh, jcd jc jvcd uh, <laughs> uh, uh marathon recently it's uh it's 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 good good stuff um that man can do a split let me tell you <laughs> <laughs> i can't uh okay uh well this was fun thank you thank you um <clears throat> this has been better red than dead you can find megan on twitter at teslersaurus you can find katie on twitter at katie crywo you can find me on twitter at tj schweiger you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Better Red Pod, spelled R-E-A-D, and email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com, but only if it is to perfunctorily pronounce things communism. Just, that's communism. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us what's communism. We need to know. Um, <clears throat> our intro music is Leb Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jade Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate, review us, and subscribe. Remember, we you know have stickers and buttons for reviewers. Um, and next week, we're going to be talking about Great Expectations, and we have Sherlock Holmes, The Hound of the Baskervilles after that. Uh, and Megan will be back soon uh, as well uh, when we will be doing uh, uh, Huckleberry Finn. Um, okay, so thanks, comrades. Thanks.